Hello, welcome to Chi Alpha. Uh, if we haven't met, my name is Tim, and this is my first year on staff with Chi Alpha. Cool. Uh, a little about me. Um, I've been married for six months and two days. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah, marriage is pretty cool. Highly recommend. Um, a little bit more about me. I also love the Bible. Yeah, I, I didn't used to love the Bible, but I grew into loving the Bible. And that is actually one of my deepest desires that you also will learn how to love the Bible and learn to love the Bible. It is a remarkable book. But before we get into the message, uh, would you guys pray with me? Yeah, Jesus, thank you so much that you love us so much that you paid the price for our sin. Um, yeah, Lord, we are so, so grateful to you for giving us purpose and you give us life, and you give us community. Lord, I pray that you would help us learn tonight from Peter, um, and you would learn, you'd help us learn to become a community that is, that is transformative, um, and that loves you so clearly. Yeah, we love you, Jesus, and praise in your name. Amen. Okay, so we're actually going to be diving into our uh, a, somewhat of a challenging passage in First Peter, um, especially for us modern-day Americans to read and understand. Um, yeah, this is one passage that has it's been used to justify some pretty horrible things in in history uh, in the history of the U.S. Um, and that's because it's it's very easy to look at the surface of the text and take away what you want to take away. Um, so, exactly, yeah. But we must keep in mind that this is a two thousand year old text that we're reading, and is written very differently in a wildly different culture. So, in order for us to understand what this section means and how it applies to us, we first need to understand what it meant and how it applies to the people at the time. And in order to do that, we have to figure out what their culture was like um, at this time. So, yeah, so a little bit about this culture, just to give a, a preface. So this was um, a time where Rome was in charge. Um, we have a guy named Nero Julius Caesar as the emperor. Um, he was in charge, um, like basically a, a king figure, and and then there were also his governors who were, um, yeah, in charge of like different sections and regions, um, yeah. And then there's also this masters and slaves culture, um, like it's just like a, that's just a common thing. Although slavery was a little bit different, um, it wasn't race based like it was in the U.S. And then there's also this might makes right kind of a culture. And this basically meant that whoever was stronger physically was in charge. And this is where we get an extremely male-dominated society where women had little to no say in this culture. So now that we have our minds more understanding in this culture, let's take a look at how Peter addresses the early church. Uh, Bible pastors, would you come down? Um, yeah, we're going to be looking at 1 Peter 2.13 today. And then we'll be reading through three. Verse 7. Um, yeah, and yeah, if you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. Nice. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, then this is our gift to you. You can just keep that. Uh, yes, Ryan, you want to? Yeah, nice. Yeah, Sam, you're good. Yeah. Okay, yes, let's open our Bibles to 1 Peter 2, 13. And... Again, before we jump to conclusions, let's read the text um, for what it says, and then let's not make any jump to conclusions. Let's not do that. Okay, are you ready? 
Here we go. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God, honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps, follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. This is a reference to Isaiah 53, 9. Um, When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you are like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, how are we doing? There's a lot here. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah. So again, let's let's check ourselves before we jump to any conclusions. Um, this is this is very important for us to do as biblical scholars. Um, yeah. Okay. So if you remember uh, um, last week, Melissa brought up three different types of holiness that are being addressed in this letter. Um, so we we find personal holiness, we find social holiness, and communal holiness. And can you guess which one Peter is talking about right here? Anyone? No. It's social. Yes. Yeah, Peter is writing all about social holiness in this passage. And that is how the people of God relate to non-Christians in society. So that's how the people of God relate to non-Christians in society. Peter is specifically calling the early church to think more carefully about how they are portrayed to unbelievers, to non-believers. Their witness is held to a very high standard. 
So let, let's talk about this term submission. I think that's where we get a lot of this hang up. Um, the biblical definition of submission is to give up striving for power and authority over other human beings and instead to pursue the good of others. I'll say that again. The biblical definition of submission is to give up striving for power and authority over other human beings and instead to pursue the good of others. This is what biblical submission is. And it's, it's not this docile, powerless, having no say, giving complete control over submission that we generally think of. Submission is just a Christian virtue. It's a Christian value. Regardless of gender, we are called to submit ourselves to others out of reverence for Christ. You can see this in Ephesians 5, in James 3, 17, in this passage too. It says, submit to each other out of, well, it says, uh, for the Lord's sake, submit. That's what it says. Um, and even further than, than gender, we see this as regardless of religion. This is Peter's main concern in this section. It's, it's not for Christian and Christian relationships, but it's how Christians interact with the watching world around them. This is the kind of submission that Peter's talking about. And it appears that the early church felt that this submission did not include submitting to non-Christians. But Peter argues that it, it does, in fact, include them, and then he proceeds to name the significant, significant ones in many of their lives, that being Caesar and his governors, their masters of, of specifically slaves, and then their husbands. And these are the three distinct sections in this passage. So let's, let's look at the first one, Caesar and his governors. So Nero, Julius Caesar, um, he was likely the emperor um, in the time of this letter. And as Meredith said in, in, our, in her first message, he was a pretty ruthless, evil ruler, um, especially towards Christ followers. And there were many responses that people at the time held in regard to Roman authority. Many responses. Um, there were the zealots. So those are the ones who held God as supreme only, and so therefore they wanted to overthrow the government. Uh, then there were the Stoics. They were the ones who kept their nose to the grindstone without complaining. And then there were the Antinomians. And those are the ones who thought that God's grace made them exempt from all laws, including moral laws. So basically they just did whatever they wanted. It was basically impulse gratification. So to summarize, we have the Zealots who are basically too aggressive. And then we have the Stoics, who are too passive. And then we have the Antinomians, who are just too impulsive. They're kind of anarchist, kind of, sort of. <laughs> so imagine, imagine being in this culture, which might not be that hard to do, um, and hearing all of these opposing perspectives. What do you do? Who do you listen to? And it's in this chaos that Peter writes, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. That's like directly addressing the antinomian thought. Live as God's slaves 
Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Okay, so which of these areas of thought, schools of thought, did Peter choose? Did he choose the Zealots? Did he choose the, the Stoics? Did he choose the Antinomians? No, he chooses God's way. He chooses kingdom culture and not human culture. Okay, so back to this text. Peter addresses how the early church should act toward and view the governing officials. And he tells them to submit to them for the Lord's sake. And this, keep in mind, this is the overarching principle of this passage. All submission is done for the sake of the Lord. And notice how Peter specifies the governor as the governors as well as the emperor. And it's this likely because the governors were the ones that the people would usually have to deal with and not Caesar himself. So just in case they had a question about which authority, Peter makes it very clear. He says, emperor and governors. Um, yeah, so what, what does Peter say is the way that they should submit? He says they should be doing good, pursuing the good of others. And when altruistic good is done, how can others complain about you? That's basically what he's saying. He's like, how can they, how can they complain when you're doing good? And this is Peter's solution. It's to live in a way that makes others want to know why you live this way. Peter's solution is to, to live in a way that makes others want to know why you live this way. Yeah, so Peter goes on to talk about living as free people. And the freedom that he talks about isn't just pure independence. That's kind of this, this antinomian thought. They can just do whatever they want. Um, but it's a freedom from sin, and it's a freedom from the Old Testament law, and a release to the service of God. And so there's a quote that I came across while, while researching, um, and it said, only in God's joyful slavery is there true freedom. That was really interesting. Only in God's joyful slavery is there true freedom. And it seems Paul is actually in agreement with Peter here. In Well, not to say he doesn't agree, but anyways, uh, in Romans 6.22, Paul writes, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. Yeah, so the timeless principle here is that we need to live in a way that makes others want to know why you live this way. Whenever reading a text like this, we have to understand where they're coming from and then be able to pull out the timeless principle so that we can apply it to our own lives. We don't have a culture of, there's, like a, there's a king, there's like slavery in this day and age. We don't have that. So we have to be able to pull out the timeless principle that the biblical author is talking about and apply it to our lives. And that's exactly what's happening here. The timeless principle being live in a way that makes others want to know why you live this way. If you remember Melissa's summary last week, um, she said, don't be dumb, but show the world that Jesus is good. I like that. It's pretty good. <laughs> pretty good summary. Okay, so this next section, it addresses household slaves. So would you mind opening back up to, and reading? And this is in First Peter again. Uh, slaves, 
In reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of souls. Okay, so Peter is encouraging the readers, and specifically the ones who are household slaves, to continue doing good even in the face of unjust punishment. And the way he does that is he reminds them of the life of Jesus, who lived a perfect life and was insulted, he was beaten and tortured, and he was killed, yet he did not retaliate. Peter says to walk in his footsteps, to imitate him, which is a very, very common theme in the New Testament. We see that in 1 Corinthians 4 and 1 Corinthians 11 and Ephesians 5, 1 Thessalonians 1 and 2. This theme of imitating Jesus, being like him. And he further reminds them that Jesus' wounds healed our soul. So give thanks. And he's saying, just as God extended his grace to us when we didn't deserve it, so you too should extend the same grace to them. And especially for those who are being beaten for unjust, or who are beaten unjustly. So the, the timeless principle here is imitate Jesus by continuing to do good even in the face of suffering. Imitate Jesus by continuing to do good even in the face of suffering. Okay, moving on to the infamous passage. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, so the mere mention of wives in this passage actually would have been a little bit of a shock to the original readers. 
And that's because the general custom at this time was that wives just followed the religion of the husband. That was just like their cultural practice. Why, like they were expected to follow and obey the religion of the husband. And this isn't our culture today, and it certainly isn't just it certainly isn't kingdom culture. But that's just what it was at the time. So we, we see Peter actually flipping the culture of the day on its head and presenting kingdom culture to them. He says, Don't just give in to your husband's religion, but continue pursuing Jesus. And then try to win your husbands over by how you act. Does that make sense? Win them over, meaning introduce them to Jesus and help them also become Jesus' followers. And, and it seems likely that the women had tried to communicate the gospel to their husbands, but they didn't listen. And so Peter encourages them to be like Jesus, to act like Jesus, someone who is pure and holy. The author of, uh, of Case for Christ, if you know that that book the case for christ yeah lee strobel um he actually started looking into christianity because his wife became a christian and her character changed and except he actually didn't like that her character changed so he went out to prove christianity prove christianity false and then wound up becoming a christian after examining the evidence and it's the it's the fact that she acted differently that made him curious so moving back to like that first timeless principle, do people know that you are a Jesus follower by the way that you live? But anyway, the virtue here is really just to respect your significant other, especially in public. And apparently this was a problem in the church or else Peter wouldn't be addressing it. According to the commentary that we've been reading on 1 Peter, there were cases of women in the early church who were publicly rejecting um, their husband's authority, again, time travel, husband's authority, that was like their culture, um, leading to embarrassment of the men and ultimately the church. I mean, imagine if if Shana were to come up here, interrupt me, and push me aside so that she could talk. Some of you would like that, maybe. <laughs> How would that reflect our relationship dynamic? How would that affect our portrayal of Jesus to the watching world? Do you guys see how treating others poorly, especially your spouse, can lead to an undoing of good in the lives of the watching world? Okay, so now we get to this clothing section. Peter writes, Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which is of great worth in God's sight. So the, the commentary um, has a pretty pretty heavy quote on this section. Um, are you guys ready to hear this? Okay. So the commentary says, Women have often internalized the male tendency to view them as sexual objects or as possessions whose appearance displays the wealth and power of the male. This comes out in dressing to attract the notice of men or in competing with other women in the richness of their dress. Peter, like the New Testament in general, will have none of this. This includes the, so not only the internalization of the women, but the objectification of women for men. Peter wants good character in this church, not just fresh clothes. And this critique is mostly aimed toward the wealthier members of the church. 
Peter's concern is not only about this about the character of everyone in the church, but also about class distinctions. He doesn't want a church culture where everyone is trying to one-up the other person with how they dress. That doesn't promote harmony or unity in the body at all. And while this critique, while this is a critique of their culture, Peter's tone is overall positive toward the women. He is empowering them to grow into women of Jesus. He's saying their beauty doesn't come from their appearance, but from their Christ-likeness. So Peter continues on, and he says, For this is the way the holy women of the past, who put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Okay, so the passage that Peter is referencing here is Genesis 18:12, which says, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? And this is in reference to Abraham and Sarah's pregnancy, which is they got pregnant super late in life in the story. And so this word, my Lord, is translated in the New Testament into Kyrios, which means Lord or Sir. And this was, this was not uncommon for Sarah to address her, husband's, uh, her husband like this. And again, we have, to, we have to think about, we have to time travel. We have to think about the culture and what was normal for them. I mean, there are still cultures today in the Middle East that wives must address a husband formally or else it is seen as disrespectful. Oftentimes, in their view, actually, it's, it's, it can be a privilege to, or honor to speak of their spouse in this way. It's not always done in a power-hungry, like, submit-to-me kind of way. Yeah, I mean, think about medieval times in a milady or milord kind of culture. The title is spoken to honor and respect their spouse. So what Peter is really referencing here is, is this passage in Genesis to convey what is respecting your, or, yeah, to convey what respecting your significant other looks like. Does that make sense? And for us in America... Today, we don't have that kind of culture, and that's okay. This passage is not a call for gender roles, but is to remind the women of doing good. Can you guys, can you see how this passage was used in the past to justify women being inferior? Like, this is, this is how dangerous it is to misuse scripture. And as Jesus followers, it is so, so important for us to properly understand how to read and understand this book. Like, I cannot emphasize that enough. It's so important for us. Okay, Peter continues on, and he says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Okay, so now Peter's addressing the husbands, and he tells them to think about their behavior towards their wives which is actually a wildly unusual thing for this culture. They didn't have to think about that. Again, it's this might-makes-right kind of a culture. So he, can, he encourages the husbands in the early church to be considerate, which is to, to have personal insight that leads to love and care within the marital, marital relationship. That's what, that's what he's saying. It's like to be considerate. And this line, weaker partner, does not mean weaker in mind or soul or some kind of inferiority, um, which was a common thought at this time. Um, But it is referring to physical differences 
and the vulnerability of women in this day and age. It was actually quite normal for wives to be physically or sexually abused by their husbands because of their social or physical power. Some deeply horrible stuff was happening. And for, for, for example, of social power would be that men had the power of divorce. Women did not have a say in that. So again, Peter is flipping the culture on its head, and he says, treat your wives with respect. Submit to her for the Lord's sake. Do you, see, do you guys see what's happening here? Peter is actually equalizing men and women. He's calling for a reciprocal mindset within marriage. So the timeless principle here is wives, respect your husbands, and husbands, respect your wives. It's, it's pretty, pretty simple. Um, of course, most of us in this room aren't married. Um, so think about how you're setting up a potential marriage. Are you practicing healthy relationships with members of the opposite sex? Are you practicing dying to yourself? These are the building blocks for a successful marriage. Okay, so now that we understand how this letter would have been received by the original audience, let's think about how we as modern-day Jesus followers can apply the timeless principles of this letter to our lives. So we have number one, live in a way that makes others want to know why you live this way. Number two, imitate Jesus by continuing to do good, even in the face of suffering. Number three, Wives, respect your husbands. Husbands, respect your wives. Um, yeah, and so in this passage, Peter names the most common non-Christians that the early church would have been facing in their day-to-day -day lives. So what is, what is our modern-day college equivalent? Well, that would be maybe your professors. Maybe it's your fellow students. Maybe it's coworkers. Maybe it's your family, roommates, your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Uh, worship team, you guys can come up. Um, I'm going to close with these two questions. Um, and I want you guys to reflect and think about how you are doing. This is supposed to be like a self-assessment of sorts. So of the people, of the things I just named, so professors, fellow students, co-workers, families, family members, roommates, boyfriend, girlfriend, do they recognize you as a follower of Jesus by how you live? Why or why not? And number two, what are some ways that you might be tempted to grab power or control over others? What are some ways you might be tempted to grab power or control over others? Yeah, and as we transition into worship, um, I want you guys to actually like do this self-assessment. Self Write down the answers to these questions and like process them with the Lord. Invite him into this. Um, yeah, so continue doing that while we move to worship.